Father, what a great reminder to us that we all too easily let our hearts be sad when we forget that the Lord is King. So God, I pray You would use Your Word this morning to remind us that You are King, that this is Your world, that You are in control of it when it seems out of control. And um, most of all, that there is hope when things seem hopeless. And so, Father, I thank You that You have not left us without a witness, that You have given us the world around us, the birds and the grass and all to remind us. But more than that, You've given us Your Word. And so, Father, would You reveal Yourself anew to us through Your book this morning. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the, the book of Romans in the New Testament. It's probably pretty near the middle of uh, the second half of your Bible. We are going to begin a series in the book of Romans that we'll probably do in parts throughout the next several months. I feel like I at least need to say something about why we are attempting to talk about the book of Romans. Because I, I want you to know that we do think about these things, right? <laughs> that when we do Genesis, it's for a reason. When we do Romans, it's for a reason. And we're trying our best to, to, to give you a, a great menu of the Scriptures with the Old Testament, the New Testament, with the Gospels, with prophecy, all of those things. But the book of Romans is unique because it speaks to a world very much like ours. Some of you are uptight because we inaugurated a new president this weekend. And the book of Romans is written to a church in the center of the known world at the time whose king was Nero who later in his reign was known for burning Christians on poles to light his parties. I want to tell you, things may be bad, but they're not as bad as they could be. It speaks to a world like ours that has forgotten that God exists or that God speaks. And... Our world, when we explore religion and explore the things of faith, often, whether it's shows like The Young Pope or movies like The Silence, we explore why God appears so absent. It is into a world very much like this that the book of Romans is written. To remind this fledgling band of Christians that there's good news. Not unlike our world, their world was full of racial divisions. It was stratified by class. I mean, all you have to do is reflect probably the most popular of Roman history, whether it's Gladiator or Spartacus, to realize that there were often Rebellions of slaves and other class issues in Rome. 
And so I want you to know that the Word of God speaks to a world like our world. It's not a foreign world to God. But more than that, it speaks to the individual. It speaks to you and it speaks to me and it, and it gives us a perspective, number one, on our own heart. It tells us that, you know, what's in here needs some work. And thanks be to God, He is at work in here. And it tells us how He works in here. So that you're not left to your own devices to do better and try harder, but rather that God is at work. It is His Spirit who works in you. And so, the book of Romans throughout tells us how that happens. And then probably most to the point, we're looking at the book of Romans because it is full of good news. I mean, we get as far as verse 2 before we're introduced to the fact that this is a book about good news. And it has to do with your belief in that good news and my belief in that good news that is really the way that we connect with God and make progress in our walk with Him. And so ultimately, it's a book about good news that points us to a God who is at work both in us and in the world around us. And we thought that because of that, the book of Romans would be worth our time as a church to understand and to enjoy and to digest and to um, live out. And the, the good news is, we're not the first Christians to ever think that way. Because it was um, Martin Luther, uh, several hundred years ago, who said this about the book of Romans. He said, the epistle to the Romans is the true masterpiece of the New Testament and the very purest gospel which is well worth and deserving that a Christian should not only learn it by heart, okay, I'm not demanding that of any of you, but it would be worth your effort. Learn it by heart, word for word, but also that he should daily deal with it as the daily bread of men's souls. It can never be too much or too well read or studied. And the more it is handled, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And so I do think that you will find the glory of God in the Gospel in Romans to be delightful, to be precious, to be tasteful and delicious to your soul. That's my hope and my prayer. So if you've got your Bibles open, let's look at Romans chapter 1 together. In the this introduction, I'm just going to tell you, this introduction introduces the writer, introduces the recipients, and introduces the main idea. And that's what we'll see as we read it. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 
to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we're introduced to the author and to the recipients and to the main idea. I'm going to take them in order that they present themselves because it really doesn't matter. Even in presenting us the author, he can't help but leak out the main idea. And even as he talks about the recipients, he can't help but insert the main idea into his description of the church there. And so, essentially, this will be a message about the good news, particularly as it impacts this church in Rome. Paul says, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the Gospel of God. This is the Apostle Paul. St. Paul, as some of you may know him, who wrote much of our New Testament. He is is the uh, ambassador of God to the Gentiles. To the non-Jews, to to the people who are most like you and me. If he were to introduce himself to you, this is what he's doing in the letter, he's introducing himself to you, he he would want you to know three things about him. First of all, he would want you to know that he is a servant of Christ Jesus. That he serves Jesus Christ. This, this should come as quite, a, um, quite an opening statement, really. It's a, a surprise to us that he would be writing to the center of imperial power in the known world saying, my chief qualification for writing this letter is that I serve a crucified criminal. Please listen to what I say. Of all of the qualifications that he has, the one thing that he leads with, the one thing he wants you and me to know is that he is a servant of someone else. There's someone more important than Paul. His name is Christ Jesus. I mentioned that this is how Paul would want to introduce himself. He, He did introduce himself in front of kings before. In Acts chapter 26, he had the chance to speak before Agrippa. And he began to tell who he was. And he told about the experience that he had with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And he began to relay the story of his conversion which is quite unusual. None of you should expect to have the same sort of experience. But it was the defining moment in his life from which everything else uh, arose. And he said, this is what Jesus told him, Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. To appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen, me and to those in which I will appear to you. And so, the the appointment shows up actually in the next phrase, appointed for the Gospel. And witness is very similar to being an apostle. 
And here he tells us he's a servant. So his introduction before kings, before anybody, says, I am a servant, I am appointed to the Gospel, and I am an apostle. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. He is sent to the Gentiles. This is really uh, the, the people to whom this letter is written. And he is sending uh, Paul, which is exactly, uh, well, it's a different form of the same word, apostle. He is, he is God's apostle to the Gentiles. He is set apart or appointed for the Gospel of God. And here really is the central idea of the whole book, the Gospel of God. He's called to be an apostle. He's set apart for the Gospel of God, the good news of God. It is His life's work to share the good news. What is the good news? Okay. He tells us. It is good news. Uh, well, actually, before He does, I'm going back to, the, uh, to His initial introduction in Acts. To the Gentiles, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Me. This Gospel has to do with turning from light or from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. It has to do with turning and having your eyes opened by God. This is good news that God does this for people. And the response must be that your sins are forgiven and you are set apart by faith. And so, the response to the good news requires turning and it requires faith. That's what we'll see as we go on throughout the entire book is that the Gospel demands us to believe it and to turn from the other things we might believe so that we believe the Gospel. He's called to be an apostle set apart for the Gospel of God which He promised beforehand through the Holy Scriptures. Now it's interesting. I mentioned earlier Paul had this, uh, Paul had this experience on the road to Damascus. Unlike any you and I have had. God, God appeared to him in person, uh, blinded him, knocked him off of his... Uh, Donkey, so that he was he was then blinded, and God spoke to him audibly and said, "You will be my ambassador to the Gentiles, and you will suffer for it." But he doesn't root the good news in an experience. He doesn't he doesn't say, "I have good news to you because I have something that nobody else has." He says, "I have good news." But the good news is very clearly explained in the Bible. It was promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is, uh, this is actually one of the reasons that we're taking up Romans once we just finished Genesis. Because all the way through the book of Genesis, if you recall, if you were here last year, 
You remember that in chapter 3, verse 15, we saw that God said, there's going to be the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. We saw them make a promise to Abraham that said, through your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That seed ultimately being Jesus. We saw the prophecy to Judah that Judah, that the scepter would not depart from Judah and that there would be a king in his line. Jesus being the uh, lion of the tribe of Judah. The king of kings we've sung about already. It was promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Okay, I just picked Genesis. We go through the entire Old Testament and point out the fact that there is good news there about Jesus. But he wants you to know that the book that you have on your lap has everything you need to know about the good news. And he's bringing nothing new. Okay, He's making it clear. He might be framing it a little different way, but it's nothing new. It is good news from the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son. Okay, here is... Here is the focus of the good news. It is concerning Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have good news. Concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So I'm going to tell us what's essential about this Gospel. What's essential about Jesus. You must know that Jesus is a human being. Fully human. Descended from David. Having the DNA of King David. According to the flesh. Not just having the DNA of David, but having the promise of David. From 2 Samuel chapter 7, where he tells us that the... Um, there would be a king on the throne forever from the line of David. And so we're, we're in this third verse to anticipate that whatever it is about Jesus has to do with Him being king. has to do with Him ruling not just over our Father's world, but over you and over me. He's descended from David according to the flesh. Jesus was not a ghost. Jesus was not imaginary. Jesus was not an apparition that, that somehow people saw and thought holy thoughts about. He was a real person who walked this earth. A historical figure descended from David. You must know that. Otherwise, there's no good news. But beyond that, you must also know that Jesus, not only was He a real human being, he was in person the Son of God. He was declared to be the Son of God in power by the Holy Spirit through the resurrection of the dead. It was His resurrection from the dead that put God's stamp of approval on Him that said, He is My Son. He is unique among all the other human beings that have walked the earth because He is My Son. And so you have Jesus, fully human, 
fully God that makes the center of this Gospel concerning His Son. And so it really is the uh, really the heartbeat of New Life Church to help you come to know and love Jesus. Because it's in the person of Jesus that you have the good news of hope of this life and the life to come. It's in Jesus you have peace. It's in Jesus you experience the love of God. It's in Jesus that you have the reality that God wants you to experience. And so as promised in the Holy Scriptures, the good news concerns Jesus. And it ultimately comes to us through the Holy Spirit and it comes um, essentially is verified by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus is, is not just a myth made up by the church so that they have happy thoughts, the tomb actually was empty. And it is, um, it is historically justified to understand that the tomb of Jesus is empty. And the explanation, the most logical explanation for the empty tomb of Jesus is that He is who He says He was. That God has done what God said He would do in raising Jesus from the dead. Which gives Jesus the title of Lord. Essentially on par with God Himself. Lord as in the boss. Your boss, my boss. Because He's unique. And it is good news to you that He's your boss. And it's good news to you that you're not your own boss. And so you have Jesus declared by the resurrection to be Lord. It is through Jesus that Paul received grace and apostleship. He received grace like you and I receive grace. This this is why it's good news. Because from Jesus comes grace. Please do not understand Christianity to say you need to toe the line. You need to do better. You need to be a good person. You need to get your act together. That is not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is grace that comes to you through Jesus Christ that you don't deserve. That you didn't earn. That there is nothing you can do to make yourself approved to God. He gives it to you because He approves of His Son. That's grace. And then... The Apostle Paul says, I got grace in apostleship. And that's his own title. He's already mentioned it in verse 1. Called to be an apostle. He is sent to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. He is sent to the nations. Well, you need to know, he's sent to the nations to bring about the obedience of faith. Um, 
If this isn't the first Sunday you've ever been in church, you have probably heard somebody say something about believing. About trusting in Jesus. About faith. Right? And what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to trust in God? You see, that's, that's one of the, I think, one of the most misunderstood ideas in all of religion. Because most people think that I believe it or I have faith in it if I agree with it. If I think it is a true idea, I believe it. And that is not the case. Notice how he modifies faith here. It is the obedience of faith. It is this response of your heart to the truth that God proclaims, okay, the Gospel. It is your response that issues in a transformed life so that you act differently in this world. The obedience of faith. It is not true faith. And some of you need to look you know, deep within your heart here. It is not true faith if it does not result in obedience to Jesus. If you are not making choices regularly to say, what would God have me to do? And then doing it. If you're not, if you're not there... You need to go back not to just trying harder and obeying. You need to go back to, do I really believe this? Is this really good news to me? And can I really believe it? Because if you really believe it, it will issue in faith. That's his definition, really, of what it means to believe. And so, I encourage you not to, to kind of put away... You have to understand it. Let me say it that way. You have to understand it. You have to know what... The Bible's talking about when it talks about the gospel of Jesus. You have to know that, but then you have to embrace it in such a way that you want to do what God says. And we're going to see that all throughout this book. That a response of faith leads us to obedience. Chapter twelve, verse one says, "Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God." That's the response of faith. So that what you are doing is obeying God. And that's the result of the Gospel. He's set apart for the Gospel. He's sent so that you and I don't just have good ideas about God, but we have good lives that have been transformed by those good ideas and our faith in them. That's His goal. Because it is not when people agree with good ideas that God receives glory, He receives glory when we live out those good ideas. And we act on those good ideas by faith. That's what it means for the sake of His name. For the sake of the reputation of God, He is, he is giving us good news that we must believe and therefore live in accordance with with that good news. And when we do, 
God is honored by that. God is glorified by that. His reputation is enhanced. He looks good among all the nations. And so this is very, this is very simple, right? This is very simple in that the goal of Christianity is not to affect politics in America by creating a voting block. God is not honored by that. God is honored among all the nations by people who obey in faith. By people who make hard choices about their entertainment or their money or their gossip or their family because of Jesus. Because of what they believe about Jesus. That's what honors Him among the nations. That's how, that's how His reputation is enhanced among the nations. For the sake of His name among all the nations. Which includes you. You are those who obey out of faith called out from among the nations. And then this is, I think this is beautiful. You who are called to belong to Jesus. God sent His Son into the world. He walked on this earth, lived a perfect life, died a criminal's death on a cross that He might bear your sin and my sin so that God might accept you even as you repent of your sin and turn to Jesus in faith. And when you do it, like we sang earlier, you are embraced by God. You belong to God. There is somewhere you belong. You might feel like a misfit everywhere else in your life, but because of Jesus, you belong to God. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, our world, our world is longing for belonging. We have lost much of the, the social structures that gave people uh, places to belong. People to belong to. Families are fractured in the clarity with which children understand I belong to a mom and a dad. It's not like it should be. And the good news is, God knows that. And He loves you and He has given His Son that He might call you and say, come, belong to Me. I'll give you a place. I'll give you a name. I'll give you, I'll give you love. I'll give you someone to belong to.
It's one of the beautiful descriptions about the Christians here. It's one of the results of the main idea here of this book that yes, in fact, you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So we're introduced to Paul and we're introduced to the main idea and here we're introduced to... Um, we're introduced to the recipients of this book. To those in Rome. To those in Rome who I already mentioned uh, are in a city full of uh, class strife. Full of entertainment that's uh, really quite religious but confused about their religion. All you had to do would be to walk uh, down in the center even of ancient uh, or of uh, modern Rome now where they have the, the pantheon all of the different uh, temples to the different gods realize they had an idea of God but they weren't they had no idea about God the government created diversions called a Colosseum to keep the people occupied so they didn't walk down the street and bother the senators in uh, their work. They didn't have social media. They didn't have electronic devices. But they had um, the games in the Colosseum. They had corrupt politicians they had all they had really all of the pressures that we could identify as that's a modern pressure that's something that our world experiences you know what rome these christians in rome saw it coming they had it there even within the church they had it they had Jews and Gentiles. The church was born in the synagogue and had Jewish flavors until some of the Gentiles got a hold of it. And then there were those who had the Old Testament, who had the Jewish heritage, and those who didn't. There were the haves and the have-nots. There were those who were on the inside because they were born Jewish and those who were on the outside because they were Gentiles. You think that caused some pressure in the church? I promise you it did. This church was split between not just middle class, but there were people in Caesar's service and there were slaves in the church. Yeah, it was very much like the pressure that our church faces. Very much like the pressure in the world around us. To those in Rome, that's who he's writing to. So you need to know that the sins in Rome, a lot like the sins around us. I mean, you just, you just can't look anywhere and not say, yeah, that's the modern problem. And we'll see that as we go through the book. We're just, you're just going to be... I think, stunned by how contemporary this ancient book is. To all those in Rome who are loved by God. Okay, I told you 
that I told you that the main idea leaked in to the identification of the author and of the recipients. He doesn't, first of all, say, I want to write to you, those of you who are in the church. I want to write to you, those of you who are religious. He just says, listen, the singular identification the people I'm writing to is that God loves you. Do you realize that? Your primary, your primary identity is that God loves you. I mean, he doesn't waste any time. He's on verse 7 and he's reminding them that God loves them. And it's going to be clear throughout the whole book, but please understand this that God loves you. He is not giving you difficult things in your life because he doesn't love you in order to hurt you or because he's malicious. He loves you. Those of you who are loved by God. This is who it is. And he says, called or set apart, or called to be saints, called to be set apart. Chosen. Okay, pulled in by God. This isn't just, hear ye, hear ye, calling. This is a, hey, I want you to come here. I want you to come here. It's that kind of call. It's a call that pulls you to Him. Sets you apart to be a saint. The saints, the saints are not the people who do special things, who perform miracles, who have died and had the Pope recognize them. You need to know that. The saints are those people who have trusted Jesus and who have, who have His credentials. That's what makes up a church. Somebody that has the credentials of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus. You're called to, to be holy or to be a saint. You have the credentials of Jesus and God loves you. That's what makes you church. Back to the Gospel again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The result of believing this goodness is this mishmash, this mix of Hebrew greetings and Greek greetings. Grace, which would be the Greek greeting, and shalom, which would be the Hebrew greeting, to, to this mixed up church, right? That had Gentiles and Jews. Grace and peace. What is God endeavoring to give you through the Gospel? Church, grace and peace. We are in pursuit of grace and peace, which is a gift from God. I just love this. He speaks on behalf of God. From God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I am an agent of God, He says. And I am an agent of Jesus. And I have something for you. Here is grace and peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. In what, how does He give it to them? He gives it to them by giving them good news to believe. And then good news to obey. I mean, Paul, whose very life is shaped by the Gospel, set apart to the Gospel of God, which is about Jesus, spoken by the prophets, about Jesus. 
Fully human, fully God. Son of David, Son of God. So that this unique God-man Jesus might provide for you a chance to belong to God. The certainty that God loves you. The credentials to be accepted by God. And He offers you grace and peace. And so it's my hope and prayer that as we look in the Scriptures this morning, that you'll get this. That you'll realize, you know what? I've got to turn and I've got to believe. I've got to embrace this Gospel. But I hope if you don't get it today, that's fine. I hope you come back and get it week after week after week after week as we enjoy this uh, exposition, really, of the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, this is very much an invitation to arise and go to Jesus, much like we have sung earlier, where we can be certain that we can find Your embrace because of Jesus. Father, would You give us eyes of faith to believe and hearts to obey. May You help us to enjoy this Gospel and find in there grace and peace to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. And so God, we, we do love You and we do thank You for the person of Your Son. So we ask these things in His name. Amen. I want to invite you, uh, as we sing these next couple songs, uh, when we're standing, if you want somebody to pray for you, if you want, if, maybe if you want a way to respond to uh, this gospel and just uh, uh, tell somebody about it, there are going to be some elders in the front over here on the side, and just make your way while we're singing, and they'll be happy to, to pray for you and to talk with you. And I just want to encourage you to, uh, to respond in faith now as we sing. And if it helps to have somebody pray for you, feel free to come on up and have them uh, pray for you.